All right, good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good? All right, great worship. Man, it's time to, uh, to get filled up this morning. Uh, man, great, great worship this morning. And uh, this morning, uh, well, let me, real quick, I got one quick announcement. We got a missions team that's going to Bogota, Colombia, July 9th to the 16th. We're going to be partnering with Steve and Pam Kern. And uh, <clears throat> Pastor Steve is a pastor in El Salvador. And what they're doing, which has been kind of their, their vision, Metro 020, and they are raising up men in their church who are called by God to do ministry. And they're sending these men and their, and their families to plant churches in um, in kind of South America region. So uh, we're going to be partnering with them, hopefully, Lord willing, long term. And so we got a missions team going. It's in the bulletin. And here's, here's my challenge to you, right? My challenge to you is maybe you can't go on the trip. I think we've got five going right now. Um, if you can't go, hey, it's all good. But here's a great opportunity to, for you to be involved. You can pray for them. But better than that, better than that, you can financially Make sure and support this missions team. So let's rally together. Even if like, you know, you gave 10 bucks or 20 bucks. It doesn't have to be 500. Like it's cost $2,100 per person. We're taking a team of five. If you want to be a part of this blessing, send this missions team. Man, a little, a little by a lot of people can do big things. So looking forward to what God's going to do there. So you can give online. You can give by writing a check, putting in an envelope. Uh, putting in the offering box. And uh, man, let's send this team to Bogota, Colombia. The whole week is going to be about sharing the gospel in the marketplace, um, you know, house to house. It's, you know, God's, God's moving. If, if you've heard about um, the, the movement, the, the gospel spreading, it is like wildfire in South America. And so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. The mission team will come back and we'll give kind of a, a report. We'll do like a mission Sunday and, and talk about all that the Lord did on that missions trip. We're going to be doing more next year. Lord willing, we'll, uh, we'll take the youth group to Mexico. We're going to need lots of chaperones um, because we don't want to lose any teenagers down there in Mexico. So uh, it's just going to be great. It's going to be awesome. All right. Um, pull out your message notes. We're going to be talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit this morning. And just by way of intro, we downplay the role and the work of the Holy Spirit so much in our lives. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture? Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin? When you feel guilty, when you're convicted that you've done something wrong, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to conform you, to shape you, to make you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Word of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit opens our, our, our eyes to see the beauty of the cross and, and the glory of redemption. And, and the Holy Spirit uh, draws us to a point of saving faith. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit comforts us. You know, when, when you're discouraged, when you're, when you're down, when you're heartbroken, the Holy Spirit comforts you. The Holy Spirit prays for us. Romans chapter 8 says that. When, when we don't know what to pray for or how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts. And I think one of the 
the greatest things is the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Did you know that as a Christ follower, as a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives within you? I want to read that verse for you. Romans 8 verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that phenomenal? That the power the power of the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus breath in that dark, cold tomb that raised Jesus back from the grave is the same spirit that lives within us as believers. Talk about the power that we have over sin in our lives. Now, if you pull out your notes, here's point number one. You were never meant to live the Christian life alone. You were never meant to live the Christian life alone. And, and this is why God tells us, or this is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus um, has this long discourse with his disciples before he's going to be um, arrested and, and betrayed and, and crucified. This is what he tells his disciples in John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So this is, this is not temporary. This is not, you know, just for a few days. The Holy Spirit, the helper, will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. When you get saved, Jesus moves in. When you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus, we know, that, you know, the post-resurrection stories, 40 days, Jesus was teaching and, and eating with people and touching people, and they saw him with their eyes, and they, they heard him with their ears, and, and they spent time with him. For 40 days, he performed miracles and teachings, and then he ascended back to the Father. So right now, he is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Someday, everything will be under his feet, and he will have supreme rule and reign and authority. Right now, he's reigning, but he's also, at this very moment, living within you as a believer. He's occupying your heart. He's taking up residence in your life. Jesus lives in the hearts of his people, those who receive him by faith. If you're a Christ follower, he lives within you. Check out what Jesus told his disciples in John 16, a few, a few chapters later, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, circle the word advantage, circle, underline, put a star next to it, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, I mean, Jesus is, is telling this um, band of ragtag disciples, these guys that have been with him for three years, they've devoted everything to him, and he's saying, you know what, I just got, got, got some news for you. It's to your advantage that I leave you. And they're probably thinking, what? How is that an advantage? We're losing here. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not gaining. We're losing. 
This word advantage means help or benefit. It's profitable, useful. Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage. It is to your benefit that I go to the Father because the helper, the the paraclete, comes to us and he will make your heart his home. You see, when we get the Holy Spirit, we, we get power. We get power over sin. Uh, we get comfort. We get counsel. We get growth and maturity. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the promoter of our sanctification. Sanctification is just a big fancy theological word that means growing in Christ-likeness day by day, moment by moment, right? Um, we're being renewed our, our mind is being renewed by the word of God. We're, we're becoming more like Jesus. We're being set apart for God. And so we get this comfort and counsel and growth. We, we get the indwelling presence of Jesus. He told his disciples in, in, in John 14, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will dwell with you. And then he said, the Holy Spirit will be in you. Here's the second point. God calls us to pursue the life of Christ. God calls us to pursue the life of Christ. Now what what do I mean by that? God has, has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. Only for him by the Holy Spirit to live his life through you. Now Galatians chapter two verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia and he's saying, listen, it is no longer I who live. He's talking about absolute surrender. He's saying it's not about me, it's not about my ability. It's, 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 I have surrendered, I've yielded myself to God. It is about Christ who lives in me. See, we get the mindset, I'm, I'm living the Christian life. I'm doing the Christian life. I'm being the Christian that God wants me to be. Actually, there's kind of some some air there. God wants to live his life through you. It's not about you. The weight doesn't fall on you so much that you've got to do it. It's about you doing it. No, God wants to do the work through you. You see, when Christ came and when he shed his blood on the cross, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not just to forgive your sins, but he came so that the Holy Spirit would live within you. The Holy Spirit would empower you to live the Christian life. Some people think after they get saved, it's up to them to live the Christian life. And in a sense, they, they think, well, you know, it's, it's contingent upon me. The, the pressure, the weight, everything is, is on me. Here's the deal. You don't live the Christian life alone. That's, that's the whole point. You don't live the Christian life alone. God lives within you, and that makes all the difference. How, do you, how can you endure suffering? When you have setbacks in life, when there's trials and sorrows and pain, when there's depression and discouragement, when there's broken relationships, when you're fighting temptation, how do you, how do you 
How do you battle those things? The race that is set before us, how do we run that race? The power of Christ who lives within us. That's, that's where it's at. Sometimes as believers, we think it, 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 everything rides and dies on me. No. You are tapping into a greater power, a greater presence. The Spirit of God lives within you. And that Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, whom we worship this morning, we sang about him in the songs. He's our, he's our king, our king forever. The Spirit who raised the greatest king who has ever lived is the spirit that empowers us, enables us to live a victorious Christian life. We've got to tap into the Holy Spirit enabling and empowering us. The Holy Spirit, by the way, this bugs me. The Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay? You ever seen those portraits and, you know, the image of, a, you know, the Holy Spirit, the dove coming down, it's falling on Jesus. It said, like a dove. It didn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove. Here's another thing that irks me. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that. So if you, if you have this image of, well, the Holy Spirit is just this powerful force, then you're JW, you like, you, you're, you're in agreement with their false doctrine, their false theology. The Holy Spirit is not a force. What was the first one that I gave? It's not a dove. Yeah, as you could tell, I, I really don't like that. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. It's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can grieve, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit is God. You know, there was a couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and the husband asked his wife, what would you like for, your, for our 50th wedding anniversary? And she said, I'd like to be six again. So her husband took her to Disneyland, and they rode all the rides, and on, on the way home, they ate at McDonald's, which, by the way, the best fries in the world, I'm just saying, Right? And the best Coke in the world. I don't know what they put in that Coke, but it's like to die for, right? Okay, back to my story. They ate at McDonald's. They got burgers. They got fries. They got Cokes. Afterwards, they went and got ice cream cones. And they got home and fell into bed exhausted. And the husband said, how did you like your anniversary, honey? And she said, exhausted from all the walking, dizzy from all the rides, stomach churning from the food. He said, oh, I thought you wanted to be six again. She said, yes, a size six again. <laughs> See, here's the deal. In life, you can't go backwards. You cannot relive the childhood experience, right? You relive it through your kids, and then you relive it through your grandkids, right? But it's very similar to the Christian life. You cannot go backwards, you can't live the Christian life backwards. It's meant to be lived forward. Christ lives in you. He empowers you. He enables you to experience victory in the future. We get so hung up on the past. Past shame. Past guilt. Past mistakes. The writer of Hebrews says, drop the weight, drop the sin, drop it at the foot of Jesus. Because listen, there is no sin that Jesus did not die for. Did I say that correctly? I did, right? Okay. Jesus died for every sin. Every sin. Anything you could ever do in your life 
in the past, in the future, Jesus died for it. He gave his life for it. And so he empowers us to live a victorious Christian life moving into the future. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it for you, verses 18 to 20. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the third point. The filling of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. Now what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's what it means, very simple. To be filled with the Spirit means that you are controlled by the Spirit. It means to be permeated by the Spirit, intoxicated by the Spirit. And you might be thinking of alcohol, and we're going to get there. Actually, that's the contrast, right? That's the example that Paul's giving. It, it, it means to be thoroughly influenced, controlled, permeated, intoxicated, thoroughly influenced. Now, I want to break down the word filled in the Greek. So, when you look at the Greek, and I rarely do this, but when you look at the Greek word, the filling is actually a command. It's actually a command. Now, when you look at the landscape of your, of your Bible, nowhere does it say, nowhere does God command us to be indwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, or baptized by the Spirit. Those things happen right? One and done. But God does say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not a suggestion, but it's a command. So check this out. If God commands it, then it is doable. If God is commanding us to do something, then it's achievable. It's not beyond our reach. You know, God's, God's not in heaven saying, good luck, you know, I'm commanding you to be filled with the Spirit, but man, this is, this is impossible, right? God's not like that. He commands what is doable, possible. The filling happens to us by God. The verb of the Greek word is passive, which means that God is the source of the feeling, and we're the object of the action. So God is the one who does the feeling. He's the one who's filling you. It's his power, not yours. It's his power, not mine. The feeling is available for everyone because the verb field is in the plural. This feeling is not for so-called super saints. You know, the, the spiritual elites, right? Which, by the way, there are, there are no super saints, spiritual elites. Some, sometimes some Christians want to act like they're like super saints and spiritual elites, but we're all on the same playing field. Um, it's, it's plural, which it's, it, it means that there, there's something that, this is something that God can do for every believer. Not, not just, you know, like I said, for the a spiritual elites. So the command is for you, not so much for the person next to you. It's for you. It's personal. The feeling should be ongoing. The verb is present tense, which means in Greek, if a verb is present tense, it means that it's continuous in action. So when, when Paul is writing to, to the church at Ephesus and he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, literally, here's what he's saying. Be being filled. Be continually filled. 
be filled again and again and again. So I don't know if you're with me on this one, but our walk with Jesus is never up, 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 boom, we go to heaven. Sometimes it's up, up, down, 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 up, down, up, up, down, down, right? It's, it's kind of like up highs and lows. Sometimes you are surrendering, you're yielding, right? You're walking um, in the spirit, you're yielding to God, you're honoring God with your thoughts, your motives, your actions, your heart. Sometimes you fall into sin and then you need to confess that and get right with God. So the idea of, of, of being continually filled, sometimes there's down moments, but our prayer should be, here's what our prayer should be. God, fill me today. That should be our prayer. One idea of, of the verb filled is to be permeated. And back in Jesus's day, they didn't have like refrigerators and freezers. So they took salt, which was a preserving agent, and they put salt, they worked the salt into the meat to preserve the meat. What's interesting about this is when you look at the, the phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be permeated by the Spirit, it really kind of conveys the idea, allow the Holy Spirit to, to work these good godly things in your life, to permeate your life. So are we allowing the Holy Spirit to influence to control our thoughts? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to influence and control our actions, where we go, what we see, what we do? You know, at the moment of conversion, when you give your life to Jesus, when you turn from your sin and you place your faith in Christ, because those two things, repentance and faith, it's a double-sided coin. You turn from sin, you turn from your past life, and you turn to Jesus by faith. That is the requirement for salvation. That's the requirement for our sins to be forgiven. It's not going to church. It's, drop, it's not dropping money in the plate. It's not being a good, moral, upstanding citizen. It is about repentance and faith in Jesus. That's what's gonna in, in give you um, eternal life. That's, one, that's, one, that's what's gonna cover your sins. But when you trust Christ, the Bible says that you are placed into the body of Christ. That means you are part of the universal church. Every believer from every generation is a part of God's universal family. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. This is what it says. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, this baptism this universal baptism is a, it's a one and done, right? This baptism is not something to seek. It's a reality to know. It's a fact to know. Never in the New Testament do you, does it ever command believers to be baptized more than once. There's a universal baptism. You're placed into the body of Christ, the family of God, at the moment of salvation. But then... The, t the Bible talks about this, the, these other baptisms, and it's, it's, the, it's the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I like to say it this way. One baptism, many feelings. So this is when continuous feeling comes into play. When you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit 
doesn't get all of you. So you get all of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is given to you as a gift, indwells you. Like I said, source of truth, comforts you, counsels you, leads you, points you to Christ, right? Convicts you of unrighteousness, lives and dwells within you. But as we're living the Christian life, as we're surrendering and yielding to Christ, the Holy Spirit gets more of us, gets more of our heart, gets more control, permeates us more. Uh, we're more intoxicated, more influenced by the Spirit. Now, Ephesians 5.8 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul's giving this negative illustration to show what he means by be filled with the Spirit. So he says, do not get drunk. Don't be drunk, right? Be filled with something else. And that's the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the connection between drunkenness and the filling of the Holy Spirit? A drunk person has no control over their tongue. They have no control over their mind. They have no control um, over their actions. Um, I personally have never been drunk. By the grace of God, doesn't make me any holier than anybody else, but I tasted Budweiser in sixth grade, and I was like, this is nasty. And since that day, I was like, I'm not going to drink that nasty stuff, right? Now, is there liberty to drink? I know some of you are going to be offended by this, but yes. The Bible does give liberty, but this is not the point. The point in the passage and the point of the Bible when it comes to alcohol is drunkenness is a sin, and that's the line. The tricky part is, when do you know that you've hit that line? See, Paul is saying, don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because when you are drunk, you lose control. So Paul is saying, you can be controlled, intoxicated um, by something like alcohol, or you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when you're when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, he's going to control your speech, uh, what you do with your body, and he's going to control your thought life. Now, this leads to kind of like the next big question. How can I experience the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's point number one. Ask for it. Ask for it. Luke chapter 11 verse 13 says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, If it's a command and it's something that God does to us or God does in us, then ask for it. Ask God for the feeling of the Holy Spirit. This this feeling is not a one and done thing. There's one baptism when it comes to being placed into the body of Christ, the family of, of Jesus. But this feeling is a daily thing, a moment by moment surrender to God. Right? It's something that we should be seeking continually, seeking the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit um, in our lives. So this is not just a, a one and done thing. You know, these college athletes, you know, they play football or basketball, and, and these, some of these athletes are just amazing, right? And um, some of them, they're going to go to the NFL or the NBA. It's like one and done, man. They're, they're going to college one year, and it's done. Then they're off. When it comes to the Christian life, The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one and done thing. It is supposed to be ongoing. 
Be continually filled. Be being filled, right? It's about us asking and seeking and pursuing the things of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to get all of us. Here's point number two. Allow God to control your life. See, the issue is not, do I have all of the Holy Spirit? You received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. The issue is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You being filled is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. And so the issue is surrender. It's control. It's authority. It's obedience. And so this is where we need to be really honest with ourselves this morning as believers. We're saved, but we're still broken, right? We got a, that old fleshly nature that wants to rear its ugly head. And we got to slay that dragon by the spirit, right? But think about your own life. Where do you need to surrender to God? What what are you trying to be in control of? Who is really leading your life? What's the most dominating influence in your life? And if if we wrestle with some of those questions, it's going to put a spotlight on, on something or someone that has an unhealthy control in in our life. Romans chapter eight, 13 to 14 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. The end game for living life your way is death. This is what Paul's saying. The, the end game is death, spiritual and eternal death. But, but if you're led by the Spirit, you will slay the sinful desires of the flesh and you'll live because you're a child of God. Now, everyone has a choice to make, life or death, life or death. And the battle between life and death starts in the mind. It all starts here. Your mind impacts your heart, which shapes your future. And I like to say it this way, and it's one of my mantras, belief affects behavior, and behavior determines who you're going to be someday. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about the Bible is going to affect how you behave, how you live out your life. And how you live out your life is directly connected to who you're going to be 5, 10, 20 years from now. What you believe shapes your conduct and who you'll be someday. So that's that's why I said the battle starts in the mind. So choose life. Choose this spirit over the flesh. Here's point number three. Accept the fact that it's a lifelong process of obedience to God's word. When it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, you just got to accept the reality. You know, this is a a lifelong pursuit. I mean, this is something I'm going to have to pursue Christ daily about. This is not just, you know, I'm going to attain it and be done. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm good, cross the finish line. No, like you're going to continually keep crossing the finish line. You're going to keep running. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Circle the word walk. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so what are the, what are the desires of the flesh? Well, it says, uh, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other and to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul's saying, 
Walk by the Spirit. Did you notice that he doesn't say run by the Spirit? The Christian life is a daily walk. Spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. The more you yield control to God, the more you will desire what he wants you to desire. I want you to think about that. The more you yield and you surrender your desires and you seek the heart of God, you're going to find the heart of God. You're going to start desiring what he's what he wants you to desire in your life. But you have to choose surrender. You have to yield and say, God, it's not about me. It's about your glory. And I want to live for you. You know, the desires of the flesh, which are referring to strong human desires, and the desires of the spirit are against each other. They're opposed to each other. So there's a war that's taking place within all of us. And the question is, well, who's going to win? Well, it depends on the day. And it depends on the moment, right? I mean, the Bible tells us that God provides a, an escape from temptation. You know, sometimes that, the, the door, God swings that door wide open. And sometimes we, we, we step through that door. We're getting ready to be tempted. We don't act on it. And we, we choose the escape route. Sometimes we don't choose the escape route. And we give in to sin. Why? Why, why does it depend on the day and the moment? Because sanctification happens when we give God control and, and then he begins to give us different desires. You know, I heard someone say, and I, I, I love this little phrase, sanctification is a slow motion miracle. I love that. Because a renewed mind leads to a transformed life. The more, the more you are, the more you are in God's book, the more you are seeing the heart of God. You're learning the heart of God. You're loving the heart of God. The more God is changing you, refining you, right? Um, getting the rough edges off of your life. He, he's making you more like his son, Jesus. And so when we come to the scriptures and we, we read it and we, and we seek to understand who this God is and, and how much he loves us, it changes our thinking, it changes our beliefs, it changes our heart. This is why it's a slow motion miracle because sanctification doesn't happen overnight. Like when people get saved, they're not victorious over all their sin immediately. They come to Christ, Christ moves in. Well, when Christ moves in, slowly sin moves out. But for a new believer, they're growing. They're learning. Oh, that's a sin. Oh, that. And, and then they start dealing with things in their life. It's not overnight. I mean, if, if, if salvation brought automatic perfection, then God should just beam us to heaven, right? But he doesn't because it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong pursuit. We have to yield daily. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Let me, let me rephrase the question. You know, I asked you earlier, who's going to win? If the flesh and the spirit are against each other, let me phrase it this way. Who's getting the victory right now in your life? Because Paul is saying the desires of the flesh keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
You know what he's saying? You're saved, but you're still broken. Anybody struggle with wanting to do things that you shouldn't want to do? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Just check the mental box, right? If it's, if it's true for me, it's true for you. I mean, Romans says, Paul's very clear. Here's this guy who had this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. I mean, saw Jesus, heard him. His life was forever transformed. He was blinded for days, right? And we know the whole story. We know God used him greatly. He was a church planner, missionary. He wrote half the New Testament. Here's a guy who, he went from persecuting the church of God to being persecuted because of the gospel. I mean, talk about a complete 180. This guy was radical, sold out, all in. Paul said in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I don't do. That struggle is real for all of us every single day. And here's what Satan does. He dangles the bait. He dangles the hook. James talks about we are enticed when we're drawn away, right? Satan, he dangles the bait. But here's the deal. You just see the bait. And it's, it's satis- it looks satisfying. It looks like... Um, you know, delicious, like, oh man, I want that. But you don't see the hook. And, 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 and that's what Satan is, is all about. He's gonna hook you. You don't see the hook, but he's gonna hook you. He's gonna put you in bondage. The things I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I don't do. Paul goes on and, and he tells us what the works of the flesh are. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, um, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When he makes that statement, you know, if your life is marked by these things, if there's habitual sin in your life, if there's just like this willful you know, um, lifestyle, I enjoy it, I'm gonna do it, I don't care about God, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because you're not a follower of Jesus. A genuine follower of Christ, yeah, they're gonna struggle, but there's, a, there's gonna be a desire to do what's right. There's not perfection, but there's a desire to live for God. Someone who is engaging in habitual, willful sin and they don't care anything about it and they make excuses for it and they say, well, you know, oh, you know, God, he'll forgive me, he'll forgive me, you know, and they use kind of grace as a license to sin, they're probably not a genuine believer because it comes back to habitual sin, engaging in things that they know, they, they know it's wrong, but they don't care. They're flipping about it, Right? They're just like, whatever. They reject God's truth, reject God's will, and they're in it for themselves, which genuinely, which at the end of the day shows that they're really not, they were never genuinely a believer. Um, the works of the flesh are evident. He lifts all these. This is not the spirit-filled way of living. These are the things of the flesh, right? So when God moves in and he indwells you, some things are gonna move out. The deeds of the flesh are gonna start moving out of your life. This is not the life that God wants us to live. He says, listen, I got a better life. I'm more satisfying than any of these things that can come into your life. 
All right, what hinders or forfeits the filling of the Holy Spirit? Here's, I'm going to give you two points. Point number one, grieving the Holy Spirit. So how, how do we hinder the work of the Spirit in our lives? Or how do we forfeit the filling of the Holy Spirit when we grieve the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a powerful verse, which shows what I stated earlier, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Elements of personhood is mind, emotion, will. Paul is saying you can grieve the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. The word grieve there means to cause pain or sorrow, to irritate, to offend, to insult. J. Oswald Sanders said, grieve is a love word. One can anger an enemy, but not grieve him. The words are mutually exclusive. Only one who loves can be grieved, and the deeper the love, the greater the grief. God loves us unconditionally. And when we willfully choose sin, when we sin, we, we grieve the heart of God. We grieve the spirit within us. We, we cause pain and sorrow and we irritate, we offend, we insult the spirit of God who indwells within us. We have all been there. Have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit, and let's just be real raw in the moment, no one shout out any examples. Have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to you, why are we going here? Or why are we watching this? Why are we watching this? I've had many a moments where under conviction, got to change the channel. And I've had many a moments where I didn't change the channel. The Holy Spirit whispers to us, why did you speak those words to that person? Why did you represent me like that? Why are you allowing that, fill in the blank, why are you allowing that to consume your life? See, as believers, we need to tap into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gives promptings and speaks to us, listen, maybe not in an audible way, but the Holy Spirit is a person who indwells within us. We know when we're grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. We know because it's painful. It not just hurts the Holy Spirit, it hurts us. You know, because we claim to be Christ followers and yet our actions represents something altogether. Here's point number two. How do we forfeit or, or hinder the filling of the Holy Spirit? We quench the Holy Spirit. First uh, Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Um, this also is a command. This is not a suggestion. He says, do not quench the Spirit. It means to extinguish, like to put the fire out, to, to stifle, to suppress you ever heard the Holy Spirit whisper to you, I want you to go and forgive that person. Or I want you to admit that you're wrong and I want you to say that you're sorry. Or I want you to financially help out that person. 
or I want you to confess that sin and, 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 and change that habit in your life, I want you to tell that person in your oikos about me. See, when we don't listen, when we don't obey the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, here's what we do. We snuff the flame out. We extinguish the flame. See, God wants to just light this bonfire in, in our lives. And when we choose sin over him, then we snuff the flame out. We put the bonfire out. What do you think would happen if we as believers and as a church pursued the promptings of the Holy Spirit within our lives? You know what I think would happen? I think revival would break out. I think re revival would break out in our own personal lives and hearts. Uh, our, heart, our hearts would be more aligned with God's heart we would be pursuing God. We would know God more. And then our, our church, there would be revival in our church. Maybe today, the Holy Spirit is, is whispering to you. Maybe to do something, to fix something. Maybe there's something in, in your life that's hindering that daily feeling. It could be an addiction, could be a broken relationship, could be some other, you know, peripheral sin in your life. Maybe a, a hidden secret sin no one knows about. But the Holy Spirit is tapping on your heart, prompting, speaking to you, pushing you, right? And you know what you're, you're snuffing it out, snuffing them out, snuffing them out. You're extinguishing, right? You're grieving, you're, you're insulting, you're offending him. And the Holy Spirit, he's just going to keep working on you, keep working on you until you surrender. Because you're a child of God. God disciplines those whom he loves. Just like a parent disciplines a, a child because when you, when you discipline, when you create boundaries, you, you demonstrate love. I had to create some boundaries yesterday with one of my kids. They didn't really like the boundaries, right? They kind of wanted to push back on the boundaries. But I set the boundaries out of love because I love my kids. I want to protect my kids. I want to provide for my kids. I want my kids to have a, 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 a future, a great future. That's what God does. He sets the boundaries. And we can choose to yield and surrender to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Or we can say, I'm going my way. I'm going to keep living the way I'm living. And we snuff the flame out of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for this wonderful command to be, to be filled with the Spirit. This command that is doable for all of us. God, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, guiding us, directing us. The source of all truth, the source of all comfort, the one who cares for us and counsels us. God, may we tap into, God, your spirit living within us. Lord, help us to ask and, and to pray that daily prayer, God, fill me today. May that be a prayer that we ask of you, God, every day. God, fill me today. Fill me with your presence Fill me with your power. Give me victory today. God, give me your goodness and your love. 
Give me your presence. God, help us to yield control, Lord, to you. Maybe there's an area in our lives right now that you want victory over, that you want us to surrender, to give up, to choose you over over that stronghold or that addiction or that sin. God, help us to surrender and choose you. God, I pray that we would walk in step with the Spirit, that we would endeavor not to grieve or quench the Spirit. Lord, help us to honor the Holy Spirit and to love the Holy Spirit and to cling to the Holy Spirit and to ask the Holy Spirit to give us daily strength because, God, that's what we need. That's what we need. As we're, we're broken and we're experiencing daily struggles, we need your grace. God, may your spirit do that in our lives. And we pray this in the sweet name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.